We pray that very thing. You would open up our eyes to see you in a whole new way. We bring you our hearts this morning. We come from many different lives, different weeks, different experiences. I pray you give each of us what we need today. I pray you translate this into what each of our hearts need so we can leave differently. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Be seated. We are in a new series, and I am very excited about this series as we head toward Christmas. And this series is called Wonder. And we want to rediscover the wonder of God. You know, Christmas is such a time of hustle and bustle and also but warmth and generosity. But in and through it all, a baby was born. As God had this wild plan to redeem men and women and bring them to himself. And my goal today, I'm just going to tell you, is that we would discover afresh with new eyes the glory and wonder of God. Now, before I go any farther, I'm going to tell you something. This might be a shock to a lot of you. Did you know that God's name is not God? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? He, he has a name. He has a lot of names. He has a personal name. Today's topic, we're going to talk about it. Today's topic is Yahweh. It's the name of God. It's an important, significant, specific name. And before we get into it, I want to talk to you about how names have power. Did you know that names have power? How many of you ever got a nickname that you did not like? Names have power, don't they? <laughs> you know, my name is Daniel. My parents named me that... Um, I think when I was a young kid, and I, it means God is judge. And they told me my whole life, they named me after the prophet Daniel because he stood up for God and what was right when no one else would. And so that's my name. That's who I am. But there are thousands of people who don't know me as Daniel. In fact, if you were to call me Pastor Dan, I would assume that you knew me in Atlanta when I was a pastor there. If you call me Selfer, I would assume you played high school sports with me at some point. Um, if I was also in a, a fraternity in college, and I won't tell you the names that I got there. But, but names, we all get names, and names reveal context and familiarity and roles. Names reveal a lot about us. You know, there's two little people in this world who get to call me daddy, and that means a lot to me. And there's one beautiful woman who gets to call me my only. And that's my wife, by the way, in case you're concerned. My wife gets to call me that, and that means a lot to me. Names have power, and, and however you think of Jesus, whatever you call God, um, how, how you envision him or, or like to pray to him and what words and names we use, did you know that those do um, have effect on us? In fact, we looked deep in the archives of the Old Testament, and we found a video that just highlights the way that names and imagery can affect how we pray and see God. So let's put on a reverent face and watch this video. Stop right there. You know, names are important. How we view and how we think of God is important. And what we call God, it reveals a lot about the role he has in our life. I mean, some people call God, he's the big man upstairs. Perhaps for some of us, it is the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Or maybe you tell some of your coworkers, like, I'm, t I'm close with the big guy. But how we refer to God reveals a lot about how we see him. And how we see him decides a lot about how we engage him. Names are important. In fact, Jesus, in his final days, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the emotion. He's about to be arrested and tortured and murdered. And in these moments, he cried out to God. And what did he cry out? Yo, big man, give me some help down here. No. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, I supplicate before thine throne. No. No. Do you know what he said? He said, Abba, which means Daddy. He called out, Daddy, I need you. And that revealed the context and the heart of the situation. It goes on to tell us that we can call God Abba. In Galatians it says, because we've been adopted, we can cry out to Abba. You can call God your Daddy. Daddy, I need you. Like when a child wants up, Daddy. You could say that to your father. When you call him Abba, when you pray to Daddy, as he's giving you permission to, you pray to him differently than you pray to the big guy. I believe that Almighty God has a personal name. And I believe it's Yahweh, and I'm going to tell you why. Yahweh is used about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's a sacred, it's a holy name. It's a name that's shrouded in mystery and in complexity. And to illustrate the uh, wonder of this name, we're going to turn to an account that is very familiar to a lot of us. So I'm going to move pretty rapidly through it to see what God has to say about this name. But we're going to look at the life and calling of Moses. And to kick this off, we have to remember that Moses, when he was born, he was born into generational slavery of the Hebrew people. They were were slaves for generations to the powerful Egyptians. And then Pharaoh, the king, declared that all infant boys should be murdered. And so Moses' mother, she protected him and until he was three months old where she could no longer hide his cries from the guards or, or other people. She put him in, in a wicker basket and she floated him down the river. What a heartbreaking, desperate mother to save her son. Moses' sister followed behind in case it tipped over or something and she followed it all the way down to where it got to the royal place and arrived where the princess of Pharaoh found it. And she picked up the baby Decided to raise it as her own, and Moses' sister said, would you like me to find someone to nurse that baby for you? And when she said yes, Moses' mom got to nurse him as a child. From there, Moses, a Hebrew, was raised as an Egyptian. You know, he should be in the huts. He should be working 15 hours a day for no money. He should be toiling away as a child with no education. But instead, Moses was raised with the greatest education and the greatest tutors. He wore fashionable clothing. He ate whatever he wanted. Nothing was um, denied him. He was benefiting from the bondage of his people. And at some point, he connected the dots. And we pick up in Exodus 2, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And this would be nothing out of the ordinary. This would happen every day, multiple times a day. It was beating one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and buried him. Moses moved into this injustice and intervened. The next day, he went out again and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one in the, in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just the same way you killed that Egyptian? Moses was afraid and thought, it must have got out. They must know. And when rumors reached Pharaoh, he wanted to kill Moses. And so Moses had to flee. He left with very little and he fled to Midian. And he sat down next to a well. Now, wells back in those days were like Starbucks today. It's just kind of the third place you always go and and get what you need to get before you're going home. And he's sitting next to this watering hole as people would come and get their water. And I can't fathom what Moses was feeling here. Think about this. Put yourself in his sandals. A day ago, he was in the palace sleeping on literal Egyptian cotton sheets. And here he is. He's got nothing. He grew up in the courts of Pharaoh wanting nothing and he has nothing. 
I can imagine Moses was in a dark, depressed place. All he had known is unavailable to him. While he's sitting there, seven sisters show up for their water. They're harassed by some shepherds and run off, and then Moses intervenes on their behalf and and, and sends the shepherds away and and gets them water, and they go home and tell their father. And and lo and behold, the father says, invite him over here. And before we know it, Moses is in the family. He's married, the man's name was Jethro. He married one of the Jethro's daughters and began to have children. And this is where we pick up in Exodus 3, verses 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses is a shepherd. He tends and counts sheep for a living. He's fallen from Pharaoh's palace to the Midian wilderness. He used to eat the choicest cuts. In fact, the only thing about sheep that he would smell is the seared flavor of the meat before him. But now he's on the other side of the plate and he smells a lot different. He's there with the sheep, taking them, tending care to them. He feels like he's in a dead-end, pointless job as he's just fallen so far. But things are about to change as he is out there tending his flock. While he's out there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. Now there's a principle here that's very important that we need to pause and consider. How long does it take a bush to burn up? 10 minutes? How how long? We'll say 10 10 or so minutes. And let's be honest, a bush being on fire isn't really that big of a deal. I mean Moses being out there and seeing something on fire, that's not a huge deal and that's not why he went and checked it out. The only thing strange about this sight Moses noticed that it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning up, which begs the question, how long would you have to watch a burning bush before you noticed it wasn't being consumed? How, how long did he have to sit there and stare at that? I mean, you can get a glimpse of the bush and, and, and okay, and, and then turn back around, but you would have to pause and watch it and look at it. God indwells the flame in the bush, and Moses stops and watches. Watches long enough to, to, to see, to begin to realize there's something else going on here. There's something else at foot. This isn't just a random fire in the wilderness. He's having a moment of wonder. I wonder what that is. Moses stopped and slowed down long enough to watch this and consider that something was afoot that wasn't normal. Rabbi Kushner A Hebrew sage says this, the burning bush was not a miracle, it was a test. God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. When Moses did, God spoke. The principle is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle. There's another world right here within this one if we will pay attention. There's a spiritual world right here in this one when we pause long enough, when we slow down long enough to see it. You can't rush wonder. You slow down and you see it. Maybe the reason God chooses Moses is because he found somebody who slowed down long enough to recognize that God was up to something. And maybe, Orchard, there are burning bushes all around us. 
But in our busy lives and our short attention spans, we miss the fact that there is something supernatural happening right here in our everyday circumstances. One of the greatest complaints that I hear, and I have it myself, is it's so hard to hear the voice of God. And yet how many of us will spend large swaths of uninterrupted time on our phone, Facebook, Insta, Pinterest, TV, Hula, reading, hobbies, activity, and just noise? And we like to say, I have ADD. I have ADD. Like it's a badge. But in reality, it's the inability to take time to pause and see that God is at work. Spiritual ADD is not a badge. It's a blinder. Could it be, Orchard, that the things that distract us are the very things that detract from us what matters most in life? The presence and voice of God. Distractions or thorns in our soil, they get the best of our attention And perhaps this very moment in your life, in the periphery of your heart, there is a burning bush that God is calling you to, to come and pause and listen and not be distracted. You see, the heart of God, like the burning bush, it burns to be known by you. His word is on fire with supernatural wisdom for those who have the grit and eyes to see it. God's heart burns to do great works in you and through you. His heart burns to give you freedom from your vices, from what torments you, from your anxieties. The heart of God burns for his children. But how many of us take the time to slow down and see the wonder of his presence? Wonder is all around us. The burning bush is a symbol that our everyday circumstances have supernatural wonder within them if we can get past our busyness. So Moses sees this strange sight and he watches it long enough to realize there's something going on here, something supernatural. And he goes to investigate in verse four. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, Moses, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. God tells, he goes on to tell Moses what he wants Moses to do. Moses, I want to work in you and through you to go set my people free. I want to start a redemptive movement, Moses, with you. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And in verse 10, God said, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I? That's all of our question oftentimes. Who am I? Like, God, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God replies, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, I know who you are, but you should know who I am. I am will be with you. In Orchard, he tells you this. Whenever he asks you to step out, step up, speak up, and you say, well, who am I to do that? I didn't do this. I didn't go to seminary. I don't know this. Or I, You don't have no idea what I've done. God says, I am with you. I'm not asking you because of who you are. I'm asking you because of who I am. You don't go in your power. You go in my power. 
Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? What do I tell them? Like, give me a name or something. He can't go and just say, a bush told me to come tell you to let him go. He needs a name. And God clears it up very, very clearly. God said, I am who I am. That's what you're to tell them, that I am has sent you. Now, I, I, it's not in the Bible, but I bet there was an awkward pause here. Moses goes, tell me who you are. He goes, I am who I am. Okay. And Moses is like, is he done? He has barefoot, head cocked. Is that it? I, I should tell them that I am, I am who I am? It's like, like Popeye says that. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Catch this, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now pause here and look at the word Lord. You notice it's in all caps. We've covered this before if you're with us new today. When the, when the word Lord is in all caps, it's a specific specific Hebrew word that makes it all caps. Because oftentimes in the Bible, it's lowercase o-r-d. But here it's all caps. And all caps is the specific name of Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And he says, this is my name forever. Now let's look at this word. We got a slide of it. And it's just four Hebrew consonants. And you would read it from left, you would read it from right to left, from the right to left. And the four Hebrew consonants are yod, he, vav, he. Say that with me. Yod, he, vav, he. The four consonants. There's no, there was no um, vowels in this ancient language. And so we have this, and it's called, catch this, the tetragrammatron. Now, my son loves transformers, and that sounds like a good one. The tetragrammatron. Now, it's not a transformer, but there is much more than meets the eye to what's going on on your screen. Yahweh. Yod, he, vav, he. This is my name forever, from generation to generation. The name is sacred. Humans complicated this. I know, shocking. They complicated, and the name of God was considered so sacred that they stopped using it. It became the name that shall not be named. And if you look in your Bible, there's lots of places where it says Adonai, lowercase o-r-d, or it just says God, which is oftentimes Elohim. And in fact, in, in temples worshiping around the nation, around the world, um, they won't say this word. They will say Hashem. And Hashem means the name. So they'll say the name, but they won't say the name. It's sacred. They stopped writing it. And because of all this, we don't know the exact pronunciation of Yahweh. But we do know that we have these yod, he, vav, he. This is my name for eternity, from generation to generation. There's so much more to these four consonants. Of course, like our God, it's very complex, but it's also very simple. You see, the ancient sages believed, and I agree with them, I agree with wholeheartedly with this, that God is both creator and sustainer. And as creator, he's vast, right? And as sustainer, he's close. As creator, he's, he's creating the world, but as sustainer, he's present with you. 
And how close is he? How close is Yahweh? How close is, is God to us? Well, the ancient sages believed that yod Hey, vav Hey was the sound of breathing. And that to breathe is to say the name of God himself. To be alive is to declare the name of God Almighty. The very name of the sustainer. When a baby is born, we know it's okay. We know it's alive when it breathes or when it cries the name of God. <gasps> when someone dies and they pass from this world, is it because they stop breathing or they stop declaring God's name? <gasps> when you sit across from an atheist, who sits across from you and lays out their argument point by point. There is no God, yet in between every sentence they tell you, their breath declares Yahweh. In Genesis 2, God creates Adam, and it says he bends and he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils, and Adam immediately awoken to his creator. Job says this, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Paul says in Acts 17, in God we live and we move and we exist. And God himself gives us life and breath. Like Moses, we could go on our normal day and miss it, or we can pause and recognize the supernatural that is present in every moment. In fact, if, if you find yourself angry or frustrated at someone, take a second to stop. Step back and just breathe. Pause and declare Yahweh as your God and invite him into your anger and frustration dealing with anxiety, overcome with, with fear or paralyzed by worry, stop and take a second and just breathe. And declare him God of your fears. Declare him God of your future and invite him into your anxieties. Busy throughout your day, realizing that as you work and as you go, that you don't invite God into your daily life. Set an alarm. Set an alarm that goes off. When it goes off, just breathe. And declare Yahweh, the God of your labor, and the purpose for your hard work. Use his name as a launching point for your prayers. Listen, this is no weird pagan breathing ritual. This isn't anything like that. This is remembering that each moment, in each breath, God is God. Yahweh is Yahweh. And he is our creator. And he is our sustainer. That we would declare like Moses, 
that he is our Lord in every breath we take, that our breathing becomes a worship service, that your breathing becomes a declaration of whose life is in your lungs and whose name is on your lips and who lives in your heart. With each breath, we declare Yahweh as God and Jesus as Savior. This is, for me, it's a catalyst to re-engage with God during my day. There are times where I literally stop and breathe his name. Not just when I'm tired, it could be any time of day. And for me, it's a reminding, it's a, it's a remembering that I don't wanna do this day without you. That as close as my breath is, Father, be here close with me. That I desire to praise you with each inhale. And I wanna declare you to the world with each exhale. What if we begin to realize that every breath we took was a prayer? Then we would pray without ceasing, wouldn't we? Every breath, every moment, every prayer to our Lord, a declaration of Yahweh. We want to awaken to the wonder of God, that there are parts of God we don't know or we forget. It's like a diamond, and every time you turn the facet, you see something new. And today in Yahweh, we see this God who breathed the breath of life into his sons and daughters. And as we breathe with bodies sustained by him, our voices declare him. Because what if, Orchard, what if God was far grander, more vast, more epic than we realize? He flung the stars into the universe. He created all that is. His beauty and creativity on display. The creator's work is everywhere around us. What if he's greater than we imagined? What if we awaken to wonder and we see when we look at Sopris or we're on Sopris, we, we don't worship the creation. We say, oh my goodness, the creator. We should wonder at the works of Yahweh's hands. We should wonder at the works of our creator's hands. He's far grander, far more epic, and far greater than we realize. We need to wonder at his greatness. But the wonder of it all is that our God Yahweh, in all his vastness, is far more involved, far more intimate, far closer than we could ever imagine. That yes, he's creator, but he is sustainer. He flung the stars into the sky, but he breathed his breath. He breathed his name into you. His son died and rose again with you on his heart. That Yahweh would give up his son so that we could carry on beyond our last breath. And because of Jesus, this spirit of Yahweh resides within our hearts, making your heart holy ground. We need to see the wonder of the greatness of God. And we need to wonder at the closeness of our sustainer. He is close. As your next breath, As you inhale and as you exhale, do not forget to declare his name. So therefore, orchard, may it not just be our lungs that declare his name. May our life declare his name. 
May our love declare his heart to a world that needs it. May it not just be our breathing, may our peace unite families and friends when there's been brokenness. Not just our breathing, but may our forgiveness declare his grace to those who've wronged us. May our compassion declare our God's love in action for those who are needy. May our generosity declare his nature to those in need. May our courage declare his brave heart who's waiting for someone to stand up for what is right. And may our patience declare our God's long-suffering who calls all who are far back to him. Let it not just be our breath. May our actions declare him as, word, as, as God. May our lives declare him as good. And may our love declare him as Lord. That all who see us, may they know who he is. May they know about him and of him. Yahweh's name is on our lips. It's in our breath. And he has asked us to take this gospel, which means good news of Jesus, to a world that needs it. He has asked us to love God and love people. He has created us. He has sustained us for a purpose. Orchard, we get to go show the wonder of this God to others. The wonder of his love. The wonder of his grace and forgiveness. The wonder of his peace. The wonder of his joy. He is joy to a world that is needing the next fix of happiness. We are charged as his children to love God and love people. Wonder is the invitation to come and wonder once again that during this busy season you would find some slow times to pause and wonder once again at his glory. To wonder once again at the salvation he's offered you. And then that we would take this wonder and invite people to come and wonder with us. You know, on Christmas we're gonna be doing the whole thing on experiencing the wonder as God sent his son Jesus and the wonder of it all. And we want people to come and hear about the wonder so not so they can come to our church, but so they can come to Jesus. And so for us, the people of wonder, we should be showing them a wonderful God. So today's response, how do you respond to this? Well, we have communion and if you're new today, we don't have any classes or anything to go through to take communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you would like to take communion and remember him, we invite you to do so. We have the, um, the symbols of his body and, and blood that were shed and broken for us. And so as you come and you receive these and you take those back to your seat, I would ask you this, before you take them, to just pause and breathe. And let your breath declare Yahweh. And then in your heart of hearts, declare Jesus your Lord. Thank him for all that he has given you. And let's ask that he would open our eyes to the wonder of God in a new way. And then Orchard, as we go into this final song, I would ask that you would stand and let your lungs declare the greatness of Yahweh. 
I would ask that you would sing, and I would, I would say, if you're concerned with how you sound, then maybe move. <laughs> if you're concerned with how somebody else sounds, maybe move. Let us be concerned with how our heart sounds to Father God as we declare that he is our Lord. Amen? Let us pray. Jesus, we come before you. We thank you so much that you're our creator, God, and you're our sustainer. That you are so vast, but so present. And in this moment right now, you are near to each of us. And there are some of us in here who are all out of hope at the end of our rope. And Jesus, that's, that's what you do best. I pray you would speak and breathe hope into us. Father, there's those of us here today who need to know we're forgiven. Speak over us again. We worship you and we thank you. Orchard, as we go into this, if you have any prayer requests at all, we're gonna have people at the front who would love to pray with you. Let's take this time to engage our hearts with God Almighty.